Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome. Thank you so much for making the effort to be here. I know that with the snow and whatever conditions uh, that you had to endure to be part of uh, joining us here today, just want to thank you for that as, uh, as we gather together. And I know that there are so many more people uh, who are with us who uh, wish they could but are or unable to. So uh, for those of you who are joining us online, to the Cisco's, we say hello, and to, all, uh, to the rest of you who are here uh, connecting with us online or in other ways, we want to say welcome uh, to you guys as well. But I have to admit, you know, as, as far away as St. Stephen is, and I'm thankful for, for them for joining us, uh, I drove past Sean White, who was running to church this morning, and I didn't pick him up because I was only 5% sure that he actually wanted to be running. So Sean is my inspiration uh, this morning for getting to church. Um, how's everybody doing with uh, their New Year's resolutions? We getting along okay? Didn't bother making them? Working on them starting tomorrow? Something like that? As, uh, as the new year begins, uh, so often, you know, there are probably people who are getting ready uh, maybe for a new year. Uh, they're, uh, you know, planning, they're getting set, uh, they, maybe they've got some goals. Uh, the idea of a fresh start um, is, a, is a great idea and a great reason to launch into a new year. But uh, probably, maybe you weren't even aware or maybe you weren't even thinking, um, maybe uh, something crossed your mind uh, about how can I finish this year well? How many, uh, how many of us were maybe thinking, you know, as the 2016 year was ending, uh, what are some things that I can do to make sure that I finish well? Uh, whether it's, you know, making sure that your goals are in focus as your finish line approaches, uh, maybe it's uh, in the business world, maybe as your year-end comes, whatever time of year that is. Uh, in recent months, uh, you know, we've been uh, watching our American friends get ready for a transition of politi political uh, leadership, and the idea of finishing well was there in our studies, uh, maybe a transition in a career, sports teams. Uh, it's, a it's a very common thing to hear about sports teams that have started off strong and then couldn't make it to the rest of the season and didn't finish well. Maybe it's a project that you're working on at home. Well, uh, finishing well matters. Uh, last week, we've heard uh, about David. Pastor Rob led us in a time and a message about uh, David's life and how even the small things, if left unchecked, can lead to our ruin. And uh, that was a great and a powerful message for me and the, some challenging things to think about as we launch into a new year. Uh, but this week, we're going to look at David's son, Solomon, because Solomon is one example of somebody in Scripture who didn't finish well. And so we want to look at that a little bit here today. So we're continuing uh, into our story uh, as we walk through the Bible together. We've been going, we took a break over Christmas, uh, but we've been going through the Bible and seeing how God's story through Scripture impacts our story today in 2017. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'll let you get ahead of me a little bit. Uh, we're going to read in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3. So uh, these red Bibles are the ones that you have in front of you there. If you're using this, I'm on page 572, or in your own Bible, if you want to join us uh, at First King, uh, yeah, First Kings. I'm in, sorry, I'm in, I'm in Second Kings. So let me go back here. Let's go to First Kings chapter three, and now I'm on page 524. <laughs> 
All right, so thank you for uh, being awake with me here this morning. Uh, Before we start reading, though, uh, I would like to just walk us through how we got to this point. So all fall, we've been talking about the stories in the Old Testament, and uh, we're now uh, halfway down that timeline, as you can see there, with the top being creation, and we just call the bottom for now Christmas, uh, and the story of Jesus entering uh, into this world. Uh, 2,000 years before Jesus was born, 2,000 years before Christmas, God made a promise to Abraham, and it was God's plan to have the people of Israel spread the news and spread the message of God's love and his power and his worthiness to the rest of the world. It was through Israel that the rest of the world was going to know about who the true God was. So despite tragedy and corruption, laziness, sins of all kinds— even the worship of other gods, we follow Abraham's descendants as God shows them what it means to truly know and truly follow and truly worship the one true God, the God of Abraham. And it caused conflict everywhere the people of Israel went. Other nations had their own land. They had their own property. They had their own gods that they worshiped. And it caused conflict. But the God of Abraham triumphed over all, and over and over and over again, he showed to God's people that he was the only one that had the keys to life and to death. And so one of the greatest examples, as we've seen so far, happened in Egypt. As God, through Moses' leadership, led the people of Israel out of slavery in a time in the were Egypt and to a land that was promised to them. So the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua all walk us through as the people of God were going to the place and to the land that God had promised them and the place where God would use to make the rest of the world know about who he is. They wandered through the desert, and then eventually Joshua led God's people into that promised land. So today, as we talk about Solomon, and as we just heard about King David, we are now a thousand years after the original promise to Abraham. A thousand years have gone by. We're about halfway through the Old Testament ta- uh, through the Old Testament now, we've had miracles, we've had wars won, we've had God show up in an amazing way. But the people still felt insecure. They felt threatened. They, they, they knew God was on their side, but as they were looking around, they were seeing challenges. They were forgetting about the promises that God made for them. And so they say, we want a king. Well, God says, you don't need a king. You've got me. And people say, uh, we need a king. And God says, okay, I'll give you a king, but he's going to be bad for you. And his name is Saul. We talked about Saul, and he was bad for the people of Israel. And then uh, Saul eventually dies. Uh, king David takes over and reigns in such a way that brought God glory and brought the people of Israel together. David became their king. And David did have a heart for God. He trusted God. He worshiped him. And when da- even when David sinned and did terrible things, God still used him because he repented. David's heart was still true 
for God despite his weaknesses. So that's why when we look at uh, when we look in scripture, so often it calls David a mighty king, and it's like David was the reference point to what a good king uh, would look like. Um, and so under David's rule, uh, he was able to unite the tribes of Israel. They were a one united kingdom. David's borders were secure, and Israel was now in a time of prosperity and peace. Peace in the land of Israel. Even in our time, that seems so difficult to conceive. So I have a picture here of a map that I'd like to show you. This is what the nation of Israel looked like after David's, uh, after David's reign. So all of that blue land there, uh, even in what's part of present-day Israel, uh, that is the largest the nation of Israel has ever been. And it happened under David's leadership. So even though uh, in Scripture David is remembered as an honorable man and he was after God's own heart, as we've seen and as we talked about last week, the consequences for David's sin were real and were unavoidable and were, ob- and were obvious. So we talked, we talked about how David uh, worked a whole conspiracy to murder the husband of a woman that he wanted to marry and that he desired Her name was Bathsheba. Bathsheba eventually has a son, and they name him Solomon. So that's how we get to today. That's how we get to Solomon. That's how we get to 1 Kings chapter 3. David eventually doesn't make his decision right away about who was going to be his successor. Instead, he waits until his dying days And he charges to the people. He says to Solomon, he says, Be strong, act like a man, observe what the Lord your God requires, walk in obedience to him, do this so that you may prosper in all you do. David charges Solomon with the the job to follow God, to know him, and everything that he does to acknowledge him. So in a land this size— with the wealth of David, with peace in Israel, with more wealth than you could ever imagine, Solomon became the king who had it all. He had celebrity status. He was well-liked among the people that he led. He had favorable relationships with the people that he didn't lead, and he was getting along. He had good trade partners uh, with the people that were around him. He had influence more than any of today's highest political leaders. He was an international celebrity, and he had God's favor. He was chosen by God to be the king, to have all of these things. So Solomon had an opportunity, instead of spending all of his time fighting battles and bringing the kingdom together, Solomon could spend his time working on the government, building it up, making them strong, making them prosperous, and he could focus on diplomacy. Solomon's main task was to control and strengthen the centralized government and to maintain their empire. Now, how he did that is where I would like us to read today in 1 Kings chapter 3. In 1 Kings chapter 3, God appears to Solomon personally. Solomon has an encounter with God, and I would like us to read it together. I'm going to start on verse 4, 
and you can follow along. I'm on page 524, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. It says, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Could you imagine being asked that question? Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, have made, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous, numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased with Solomon and that he had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor, you've, uh, have, nor have you asked uh, for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that your, in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statues and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Solomon's request to God was, Lord, will you give me a discerning heart? Help me to be able to know the difference between right and wrong. What an honorable and what a wonderful thing that he could have asked for. No wonder it pleased God, so that God knew that the person who was going to reign next as king over his people would be able to tell the difference between right and wrong and make good decisions. How many of us in our lives have been the victims of our own poor decisions? How much better would our worlds be if we had the discerning heart to know the difference between right and wrong and to act on them? And our governments, that would be great. Absolutely it would. And in our own lives as well. Because the battle to discern right and wrong is critical for our own lives and for the ways that we are going to honor God with our lives. You know, asking for wisdom should be our daily prayer to God. God, make me wise like you are. Help me to discern the difference between right and wrong. That should be the way that we are thinking about the generation to come after us. Help us to be wise in leading them and helping them to make wise choices. You know, every Sunday— the things that we talk about in our River Kids and in our River Tots program, that's one of the three main points every Sunday is to help 
our next generation make the wise choices. So as we invest in children, either as parents or as mentors, uh, we would love to see the people come behind us making wise choices. In our marriage, uh, making sure that wise choices is, imp uh, is important. Our finances, um, and most of us would agree that probably some of the most deepest pain and the deepest hurt comes from when uh, a result of unwise decisions. Solomon got it right when he asked for a discerning heart. And there's a story in Scripture where Solomon had an opportunity to work out that uh, wisdom. Uh, two mothers came to Solomon, and they were debating over, which over a child and who was the true mother. Solomon's response was, well, let's cut the baby in half. And uh, one mom can take one, one half, and the other mom can take the other. One mom said, yep, that's fair. If I'm not going to have him, then nobody should have him. The other mother says, no, give it to her. I would rather to see the child live than to see him die. Solomon uses that wisdom and says, surely the, the, the mother who let this child live was the true mother. And his wisdom became popular and well-known all around the world. The queen of Sheba came and to have an opportunity to talk with Solomon and to learn from him. And uh, from another country, she, uh, she came to hear all about his words and uh, to learn from him. And that kind of international status is the kind of way that Solomon used his wisdom. His wisdom had a role in literature. Uh, the, next, uh, few past, the next few books of the Bible, uh, in a few weeks' time, we'll be reading through the wisdom books, the, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Those were all written by Solomon. And they're little kind of clips about what the wise life looks like and sounds like. Uh, some examples of some of the Proverbs uh, from the book of uh, Proverbs that Solomon wrote. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Some more popular verses says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And the rest of the book of Proverbs is all about these little kind of Twitter-sized um, captions of ways that we can be living God-honoring, living God-honoring lives and making uh, wise decisions. Like Solomon, we need to be making wise, godly choices. The other thing that Solomon did and uh, the way that he added uh, to the people of Israel is that Solomon was responsible for building the first permanent temple, God's dwelling place on earth where heaven and earth were finally going to meet and God had a permanent home among his people. Solomon built it. After, God, after Moses and so many people were traveling and finally getting to their, their land and fighting battles, they're, they're, they weren't able to kind of give God a, a permanent home, but Solomon was able to follow David's instructions, to follow the God's commands, and to build the first temple. It, it was decorated as if it was the Garden of Eden, and it was constructed in a way that resembled the tabernacle that Moses brought through the desert with them. And finally, for the first time, the Israelite people had a place where God dwelled among them permanently. They worshipped and praised God for two full weeks 
after the temple was built. And the priests saw God come down into the temple when it was finally built as if it was clouds and fire. And the Lord's presence was so obvious and made known to them that all of the worshiping people there, all they could do was just drop down and worship. You know, the, the, the the musicians couldn't even play their instruments. And they worshiped. And then over and over and over in Scripture, you see it in Kings, you see it in Chronicles, you see it through the book of Proverbs, you see it even in Psalms. This phrase that, God, you are good and your love endures forever. You are good and your love endures forever. And as I, re- and as I see that phrase over and over and over and over again in Scripture, I almost wonder if they were just so overwhelmed with worship that that's all that they could say to express the love and the awareness that God was with them. God, you are good, and your love endures forever. They echoed it together. They echoed it over and over and over again. But even then, in Solomon's wisdom, despite the the very obvious sense that God's presence was there with them, and uh, despite having just constructed a physical place Uh, where the priests could go and they knew that God's presence was with them. Solomon's wisdom says, our temple cannot contain our mighty God. He says, will God really dwell on earth? He says, the heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple. So the temple, the physical structure, the representation of God's presence with them is complete. The people rejoice And in 2 Chronicles, we hear God's instruction, where do we go from now? Solomon has a temple built. God is very pleased with him. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, so I'm a few pages later in another book. um, Let's see here. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the temple is dedicated, and God appears to Solomon again. Uh, I'm going to read from uh, chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles. Verse 11, so if you flip in a few pages over to page 684, this is God's response to Solomon after the temple was built. It says, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do uh, in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said, I have heard your prayer, and had chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. One of the greatest promises to us from God. God says, now I will open, uh, my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. And then God gives Solomon another instruction and another warning to stay true to God's 
um, direction. He says, As for you, if you walk before me as your father David did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne, as I covenanted with David your father when I said, You shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them. They will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now so imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought on all this disaster. And sure enough, at the end of Solomon's life, he didn't finish well, in spite of all of the wonderful ways that God showed himself and the ways that he blessed Solomon and his people, Solomon's life and his leadership completely fell apart in the end. Well, how did this happen? I would start off by saying how many of us in our own lives know that this one true fact, and it's found throughout all of Scripture, is that it is so much easier to depend on God when life is hard. It's much more difficult to honor God when things in our life is easy instead than when, of when things are wrong. When things are easy, we can depend on other things. We can depend on our own resources, our own money, our own abilities, our own decisions, our own ideas or skills or gifts. We lean on our own understanding when things are easy. And although it may not be intentional for us to be that way, although we're probably thinking about God and we're praying to Him and we want what's right for Him and for us and we want to give glory to our lives, when things are easy, we have other ways to understand. We start leaning on, we stop leaning on His understanding. So much more difficult to honor God when things are easy instead of when things were hard. Even Jesus recognized that. He warned that it was, easy, it was much more easy for a man to walk through an eye of a needle than it would be, to enter the, a rich, than it would be for a rich man to enter uh, the kingdom of God. And it's true in our lives for us. It's true in Solomon's life as well. Despite all of the things that Solomon had, the blessings, the resources, the influence, the power, the wealth, Solomon did not finish well, and it had centuries, literally centuries of consequences. How did it all fall apart? Well, the first thing, if I could say simply, is that he compromised. The exact warnings that God had for Solomon were the things that Solomon gave into. He compromised. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God gave uh, Moses some instruction about what future kings need to know, what to do and what not to do. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, there's a little list of all these different things that kings and rulers uh, need to follow. And Solomon broke every single one of them. Solomon compromised 
um, having peace for following God's way. And one of the ways that he actually lived that out is by politi- for political reasons, he was marrying other, pol- other leaders from other, other, other nations. It kept the peace. It kept, pro- it kept their land prosperous. But as, Mar- as uh, Solomon was marrying women, which, by the way, came to the number of 700, 700 wives uh, for Solomon. 700 wives. Uh, uh, for political reasons... Uh, he not only allowed them into his home, into the palace, into Israel, but brought with them their gods, brought with them their ways of worship. And Solomon allowed those to happen under his leadership, and he himself became worshiping other gods. Solomon ends up breaking every single law, as I said, and the demise of the kingdom under Solomon's leadership for having compromised his true calling, for having not followed God's ways instead of following his own, led to centuries of demise for the people of Israel. We read about Solomon's fall with our own minds. Although he, as it says here, although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. And with Solomon's fall in mind, and as we look at our own lives, just three things I'd encourage us to walk home with uh, today and to think about for the rest of the year and maybe for the rest of our lives. First is that we can finish strong. We need to finish strong. We don't lose sight of our first love for God. We can say, God, thank you for my life. I'm going to trust you with every second of it because the way I live my life matters. The second thing, like Solomon did, we can ask God for wisdom. In the New Testament, in James chapter 1, there's a promise there that if we ask God for his wisdom, he gives it to us. And so our prayer lives need to be filled with God, asking God for wisdom and for his help. And then lastly, we can honor God today. Because God's plan for us today is to know him and to follow him, to acknowledge him with all that we do, and to not lean on our own understandings. Solomon compromised for peace, for pleasure, and for prosperity. God's ways are not always going to be safe. They're not always going to be pleasing or prosperous. But he wants us to follow him and to trust him. And now the good news is, as in David's life, and as Jesus himself demonstrates to us, is that we do not, our lives don't end the second that we fall short. The second that something goes wrong, or the sec- second that we um, we've turn away from God, we don't fall short. We don't, uh, our lives aren't over, we, even when we don't measure up. Jesus' promise to us, he's, uh, I think it was on the screen there, it said, the Queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day, but now someone greater than Solomon in, is here. Someone greater than Solomon is here, and that's Jesus making himself available to us to come to him, to let him be the Lord of our lives and to lead us. I'm going to ask the worship band to lead us in a song. Um, uh, it's a song that I fell in love with a, a while ago, but it actually reflects the heart and the attitude of worship uh, that the Israelites um, sang and praised God with when the temple was built. And I wonder that as 
uh, the year turns new, and as we think about what's going to happen, or maybe what we don't know is going to happen uh, in this year ahead, would we trust God? Would we know that his presence is with us? Would we know that when we fall short or make unwise decisions, that God is still with us? He's drawing us to himself, and he is even greater than Solomon is with us. Let's pray. God, we ask for your presence in our lives, that we would know who you are, that we would be led by you. Lord, in our brokenness, we know that we fall short, and we know that we've let you down. But you, in your love for us, have forgiven us, have made us right. You've called us to act and to make a difference in this world, and so use us in our brokenness and restore us for your glory. Lord, help us to finish strong in the things that we're working on. Maybe it's a career transition, or maybe it's just uh, some good goals that are in place for us for this year ahead. Maybe it's a relationship that's falling apart, uh, or some other big project, maybe at home. Uh, Lord, help us to be uh, focused on those, but to give you the glory, to trust in your ways, and to lean not on our own understandings. Lord, help us to acknowledge you in all of we do, all we do, all we say, and as we go about this week, help us to know that you are there, that you are making our path straight. Thank you that your love never fails and never gives up on us. And in our hearts today and in the song that we sing, we say that you are good. You are good and your love endures forever. So your love for us, the love that you've had for your people over centuries and millennia is here for us. Thank you that your love never holds back and makes yourself available, makes your presence here with us today. And so we give you worship and praise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.